0: Episode 39. They had continued to stroll slowly down the corridor, but now O'Brien halted. With the curious, disarming friendliness that he always managed to put into the gesture, he resettled his spectacles on his nose. Then he went on. What I had really intended to say was that in your article I noticed you had used two words which have become obsolete, but they have only become so very recently. Have you seen the 10th edition of the New Speak Dictionary? No, said Winston. I-, I didn't think it had been issued yet. We are still using the ninth in the records department. The 10th edition is not due to appear for some months, I believe, but a few advanced copies have been circulated. I have one myself. "'It might interest you to look at it, perhaps?' "'Very much so,' said Winston, immediately seeing where this tended. "'Some of the new developments are most ingenious. "'The reduction in the number of verbs, that is the point that will appeal to you, I think. "'Let me see. Shall I send a messenger to you with the dictionary? "'But I am afraid I invariably forget anything of that kind.' Perhaps you could pick it up at my flat at some time that suited you. Wait, let me give you my address. They were standing in front of a telescreen. Somewhat absent mindedly, O'Brien felt two of his pockets and then produced a small leather covered notebook and a gold ink pencil. Immediately beneath the telescreen, in such a position that anyone who was watching at the other end of the instrument, could read what he was writing. He scribbled the address, tore out the page, and handed it to Winston. I am usually at home in the evenings, he said. If not, my servant will give you the dictionary. He was gone, leaving Winston holding the scrap of paper, which this time there was no need to conceal. Nevertheless, he carefully memorized what was written on it and some hours later dropped it into the memory hole along with a mass of other papers. They had been talking to one another for a couple of minutes at the most. There was only one meaning that the episode could possibly have. It had been a contrived way of letting Winston know O'Brien's address. This was necessary because Except by direct enquiry, it was never possible to discover where anyone lived. There were no directories of any kind. If you ever want to see me, this is where I can be found, was what O'Brien had been saying to him. Perhaps there would even be a message concealed somewhere in the dictionary. But at any rate, one thing was certain. The conspiracy that he had dreamed of did exist and he had reached the outer edges of it. He knew that sooner or later, he would obey O'Brien's summons. Perhaps tomorrow, perhaps after a long delay. He was not certain. What was happening was only the working out of a process that had started years ago. The first step had been a secret involuntary thought. The second had been the opening of the diary. He had moved from thoughts to words, and now from words to actions. The last step was something that would happen in the ministry of love. He had accepted it. The end was contained at the beginning. But it was frightening, or more exactly, it was like a foretaste of death like being a little less alive. Even while he was speaking to O'Brien, when the meaning of the words had sunk in, a chilly, shuddering feeling had taken possession of his body. He had the sensation of stepping into the dampness of a grave, and it was not much better because he had always known that the grave was there and waiting for him. End of chapter six. Part 2, Chapter 7. Winston had woken up with his eyes full of tears. Julia rolled sleepily against him, murmuring something that might have been, What's the matter? I dreamt, he began and stopped short. It was too complex to be put into words. There was the dream itself, and there was a memory connected with it that had swum into his mind in the few seconds after waking. He lay back with his eyes shut, still sodden in the atmosphere of the dream. It was a vast, luminous dream in which his whole life seemed to stretch out before him like a landscape on a summer evening after rain. It had all occurred inside the glass paperweight, but the surface of the glass was the dome of the sky and inside the dome, everything was flooded with clear soft light in which one could see into interminable distances. The dream had also been comprehended by, indeed in some sense it had consisted in, a gesture of the arm made by his mother and made again 30 years later by the Jewish woman he had seen on the news film, trying to shelter the small boy from the bullets before the helicopter blew them both to pieces. Do you know, he said, that until this moment, I believed I had murdered my mother. Why did you murder her, said Julia, almost asleep. I didn't murder her, not physically. In the dream, he remembered his last glimpse of his mother and within a few moments of waking the cluster of small events surrounding it had all come back it was a memory that he must have deliberately pushed out of his consciousness over many years he was not certain of the date but he could not have been less than 10 years old possibly 12 when it had happened his father had disappeared sometime earlier how much earlier he could not remember He remembered better the rackety, uneasy circumstances of the time, the periodic panics about air raids and the sheltering in tube stations, the piles of rubble everywhere, the unintelligible proclamations posted at street corners, the gangs of youth in shirts all the same color, the enormous queues outside the bakeries, the intermittent machine gun fire in the distance, above all, the fact that there was never enough to eat. He remembered long afternoons spent with other boys in scrounging round dustbins and rubbish heaps, picking out the ribs of cabbage leaves, potato peelings, sometimes even scraps of stale bread crust from which they carefully scraped away the cinders. And also, in waiting for the passing of trucks which traveled over a certain route and were known to carry cattle feed, and which, when they jolted over the bad patches in the road, sometimes spilt a few fragments of oil cake. When his father disappeared, his mother did not show any surprise or any violent grief, but a sudden change came over her. She seemed to have become completely spiritless. It was evident even to Winston that she was waiting for something that she knew must happen. She did everything that was needed, cooked, washed, mended, made the bed, swept the floor, dusted the metal piece, always very slowly and with a curious lack of superfluous motion, like an artist's slave figure moving of its own accord. Her large shapely body seemed to relapse naturally into stillness. For hours at a time she would sit almost immobile on the bed, nursing his young sister, a tiny, ailing, very silent child of two or three, with a face made simian by thinness. Very occasionally, she would take Winston in her arms and press him against her for a long time without saying anything. He was aware, in spite of his youthfulness and selfishness, that this was somehow connected with the never mentioned thing that was about to happen.